You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. I think it's pretty helpful to understand the context of today's passage. This comes in the point in Israel's history when they are dragged off to Babylon. They've been conquered, and the, much of the nation is held in exile there in the great city of Babylon. But the thing is, here's what's interesting. In human history, if you're going to be conquered by another nation, of all of them, Babylon's really not that bad compared to the Assyrians and others before them that would come and drag people off into slavery. Israel certainly knows slavery, being held for generations in Egypt. But these other nations, they'd come and conquer, they'd destroy you, they'd take your land, they'd take you off into slavery. But if you're going to be conquered by someone, the Babylonians, it's pretty cool. Now true, they were dragged off. But here's the thing, they weren't kept in prisons, they weren't kept in camps, They were actually free to marry, to build homes, to plant crops, to exchange goods, to be Babylonians. Some of these Israelites went to Babylon and became quite wealthy. They were actually free to assemble and to continue to practice their religion there, to elect leaders to worship. This is the period of time in Israel's history where the synagogue came about, in which the local house church movement of the early church took its form. But the Hebrews initially had a difficult time worshiping in exile, because you remember they were given a promised land, this land where they say God's very presence was among them there in the temple. They were not where they wanted to be. Even though they were free and allowed to live a life and to worship, they were not there in Jerusalem at the temple. They could not hold their festivals the way they were used to holding them. And so they lived in sadness, and it ran down to their bones. It was even said they refused to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. Something I've noticed over the years is when people fall away from church or fall away from faith, it often happens when lives are interrupted, interrupted by great tragedy or often in many cases, interrupted by a different season in life. Illness, a great change. Kids are heading off to college or work is getting chaotic. Students are moving up to a new school. Divorces happen. People just stop coming to worship. And I think the reason is, is that these people have often lost their vision of God. For some, it might be like St. Augustine said, that we are restless, and ultimately we'll find our rest in the Lord, but maybe the restlessness itself leads us away from faith. Some might experience what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul, when we had none of the emotional benefits of faith. For some, it might just feel like spiritual death. But for most, I think what it means is irrelevance. God, faith, hope, transforming love, church, they've been found lacking, and now they have no valuable value to these people. They feel like they're irrelevant. To me, that's the way I look at this passage, dry bones. 
And so when you feel like this, and we have all felt like this at times, it is difficult to go to worship, stand beside so many people looking up and singing together praises to God. It just feels phony. It creates too much of an existential crisis, a contradiction. It's this tragic irony of the soul that in times that we probably need to worship and be here the most are the times where we find it incredibly difficult. So like the exiles in Babylon, we try to numb our pain, to numb our spiritual pain by making life more comfortable. So maybe we mask that pain by working really hard, adding extra hours at work, trying to excel there in different ways. Maybe we become collectors, maybe intentionally or unintentionally. We begin adding things to our life to add luxury. We buy houses, we plant our roots, we live quietly, and as we said back in the fall, we make the best of Babylon. But however nicely we decorate it, Babylon is not our home. The day we deaden our lodging for God is the day we spiritually die. And the rest of us begins to slowly die from the inside out. So for the Jews, eventually they got so cozy that even after the decree of Cyrus, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem Many of them didn't want to go back. They had a good life. They had jobs. They had families. They had homes. They had places they lived. The old dream of living in God's presence there in the holy city of Jerusalem around the temple had died under piles and piles of coping devices. And so that's the situation that Ezekiel finds himself in. So one day the Spirit of the Lord grabs this prophet and took him to a valley full of dry bones and said, human one, can these bones live? Looking around at all these skeletons, Ezekiel thought hard and said, God, you're the only one that can answer that question. And so the Lord told him to start preaching to these bones and even gave him that message we heard. Think about how strange this must have been for Ezekiel. All right, Ezekiel. We want you to go in this valley full of dry bones, and I got a job for you. Start preaching to them. Tell these dry bones, don't give up hope. He's probably thinking to himself, God, why do you want me to say a bunch of inspirational things to a bunch of dead things? It makes no sense. It's not as though they're even recently dead. At least Lazarus in our story has only been dead for four days. These bones are not only bones, they are dry. There is nothing. God, if you want this to happen, you're going to have to make these dead things alive before I start preaching. But what's interesting is ours is a God that calls us to believe before we see. That's much of our faith experience. We don't see it. We have hope and we believe. I think that's because God knows that hope is incredibly important. Hope is what brings us back to life. Hope rises up in our bones and chooses to believe in spite of how it is. 
So I want to encourage you today, since God is always making room for hope, how about we not dare to treat, to do, treat today as some fixed, absolute situation? Don't bank on today, good or bad, because today is not going to last. There's always room for hope. That's why hope is dangerous to people in power. That's why hope is revolutionary, because it changes the way we perceive the world. It does not have to be the way it is. We have hope for something else. That's why the poor and oppressed are often great at hoping. And why we in the middle and upper classes who are doing well, coping here in Babylon, often find ourselves having such a difficult time with hope. We think we're doing well enough. And so when we hear Jesus' words like, blessed are the poor in spirits, maybe he's not talking to us. Our only worry might be about not losing ground tomorrow to make sure we're moving forward as we should be. So when we fixate on such things, such coping devices, we start losing hope. And then that spirit in us begins to wither. The Apostle Paul told the believers in Rome that the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies, also through the spirit that dwells in us. The church has always found a way to remind us that life is not what it seems, but instead that the Spirit of God is always here, willing and able to raise dead hopes to life. So the day that we lose our ability to imagine and work for a better tomorrow is the day we deny that we really believe in the resurrection. John Calvin talked about this multiple times. He said that of all the things that God has done, all the miracles and amazing things, we can always create another explanation for them, but the one exception is the resurrection. The one exception, raising the dead to life. We don't have an explanation for that. We don't know how to make sense of that. That is God's unique power to give us hope. That is our Christian hope that we even though we die, we'll be raised to life, a new life with God. I think that's why over the years I've liked all the Pixar movies so much because they're just full of hope, and they often surprise you with that hope. Uh, my daughter's been watching this movie called The Good Dinosaur recently about this little cute little dinosaur named Arlo, and he's young, and he's timid, and he's small, and he's scared, and he loses his father in a great flood. His father passes away, and it's just his family, his brother and his sister and him and his mother left to care for the farm after their father's death. And Arlo has to look out for the pest. The pests are little human beings that kind of act like wild critters. And Arlo gets really mad, but he's so scared. He's chasing one of them, and ultimately, Arlo has a similar fate. He falls into the river and gets swept away hundreds of miles, lost from home with no, one direction, with no direction, and the only person there with him is his enemy, that little human being he calls Spot. 
But over their journey, they find hope, hope in the weirdest ways. Hope where enemies become friends, hope where threats become allies, and hope that they have more resilience than they thought they did. That's why I like the other movie, they have Monsters, Inc. It's this weird thing where monsters scare little kids in the night because those scares power their, their society. It's kind of a weird thing. But they also think kids are toxic, so they can't touch them, and they're terrified. But then a little girl who they call Boo sneaks into their world, and these monsters have to take care of her, and they find hope that there's another way. Hope that they can power their world by laughter and joy. And the ultimate one, I might cry when I say it, like it gets me every time. It's the movie Up. Have you seen the movie Up? About the older gentleman and the opening, the opening part is, it's beautiful, but it's sad. It's this beautiful story about this young couple in love and he proposes and they get married and she just dies too young. And he becomes an old curmudgeon with this tiny house in the middle of these great sky rises, refusing to sell it. In this last moment of defiance, he attaches hundreds and hundreds of balloons and flies away, hopefully to find this beautiful waterfall, only to have this funny little boy come along with him from the wilderness explorer. And that movie is a perfect example of how death is raised to life. A man that has given up upon the world finds hope in a talking dog and a little wilderness explorer in a strange land. So our challenge today is to take our place beside Ezekiel. Proclaim that no matter what the situation, no matter how dry, no matter how dead it is, there is hope I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. So you who gave up hope, you who gave up dreaming, who have settled for the comfortable routine of life, of bills and dirty laundry, you who fear your best years are behind you, you who think the Lord God has forgotten about your little life, To you, Ezekiel, and God says, arise. Arise to discover that the Holy Spirit is this very day breathing life back into you. And you get to participate in that. Arise to live that magnificent hope. Because the world is dying for you to believe that God is not done with us yet. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.